Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Time for parenting. Parenting on Moncrief. <laughs> 53106 is our text number. That will cost you uh, 30 cent. Uh, Joanna Fortune uh, joins us. Though Joanna is on, uh, is on holiday this week, though uh, thankfully she's uh, uh, kindly accepted our call. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon, Sean. Right, here's the first question. Uh, how do I help my three-year-old son cope with his grief? I have a three-and-a-half-year-old boy. He's very independent, happy, sensitive, and always trying to be as big as his nine- and seven-year-old siblings. He has frustrations and anger like every three-year-old, but he normally deals with it well. For the last two years, we have dealt with the illness and death of my dad. And because I'm from Spain, that meant lots of back and forth, pandemic permitting. After my dad passed away, every time we put on any sad songs, he will start crying or telling me it's too sad for him. Also, he gets quite nervous when we are at new places and meeting new people outside home. But the time has come for him to start our local Montessori and he's not happy about it. He is scared and says he is not going. We went on the opening day, but he just stood in the yard and didn't want to go into the class. I didn't push it and we left. Since then, I keep mentioning here and there that soon him and his brother and sister will start school so we can get mentally prepared. There's no rush from uh, my part for him to start, but I think it would be good for him to see other kids. Is that too much to ask for him? Should I wait for him to start? What can I do to help him? Oh, it's so relatable at this time of year when mm. our, you know, some of our little ones are going to be starting school for the first time and that's outside of the family loss. And I just think at the beginning of this letter is there is so much loss. And I think that over and back to Spain and that heightened state of everything that brings when you're not close to home, when something like that is happening, that my first piece of advice here would be to mind your son by minding yourself and making sure that you take that time to manage your own grief and to really feel it and process it because you're then showing him how you're handling your feelings and leading by that positive example. And that doesn't mean that you hide your difficult feelings. And if sad songs are making him cry, that you can empathize and say, yeah, sometimes I feel sad too. And when we're sad, we cry. And then we can help each other to find our happy feelings again. And so you're reinforcing that sense that he's made up of lots of feeling parts, not just this sad part. It's also striking me here that he's clearly a sensitive little guy that, you know, understanding the message of the song through the rhythm and the synchrony and the tempo, that that's resonating with him in an emotional way. And he's like, this is a sad sound that makes me feel sad. So while that's quite difficult to deal with now, there is a kind of a strength in this, that this is a kid who knows his emotional states. And a sensitive child just needs that extra little bit of support when they're little in processing those feelings. The other bit, though, Sean, that jumps out at me in this letter, and I think these two pieces are linked, but at the same time, you're almost going to respond to them separately, is the starting preschool. And that links me back to when this parent had to go back and forth, you know, within the pandemic restrictions to Spain when when their father was unwell. Because I think that can, especially the age this little guy would have been, lead to a permanent wobble. You go and you return, but I'm not. Maybe you didn't know exactly when, and you might have been flying at short notice, and all of those pieces that can lead to that little bit of uncertainty about when people go, do they come back? Can I count on people coming back when I don't see them? And now you're planning this new separation, which is Montessori, 
And I think, look, you're right, developmentally, if everything else is in line, at three and a half, that is the right time to be going to preschool, going to Montessori. But just anticipate he might not be one of the kids high-fiving you and running in excitedly on the first few days. He might need that extra little bit of support and reassurance. I think you're doing the right thing by preparing him. You know, you're gently but frequently enough talking about it at home, mentioning it in a really positive way, linking it to something his older brother and sister do because you're flagging he likes to be like them and big as them. But I also think I would flag it to the teachers that give them a heads up that he might find this difficult and that you've had a difficult time as a family and he might need a little bit of extra minding and extra support. They will be well used to that and are highly skilled to deal with it. I think you could also consider giving him a little transitional object. Again, just be COVID sensitive that our preschools, our schools don't want us sending our kids in with teddies and toys from home. Mm. But maybe something he could put in his pocket would be really handy, like a photo of you so he can feel you close even when you're not. There are books that you can do and all of that, but he's very young. Like, I think doing something like a visual board could have a benefit. You could have just a cork board, like a little notice board you can get, or simply getting a big piece of poster paper and drawing or sticking pictures on it, but mapping out what his day will be like. So, you know, the getting up, the getting ready, the leaving the house, the arriving at preschool, a picture of children at play together. So to emphasize, he'll be going there to have fun and play with little pals. And then a picture that represents him coming home to you. So you break down his day into these individual visual steps. And equally, you know, in terms of the feeling sad about the loss of his granddad, that doing a little memory board piece about putting up nice pictures and memories, if you feel ready for it. And I think that's crucial here that you do tend to your own grief process as well, that you can build a nice little memory board or picture board together so that he knows that when even when people aren't with us anymore, that we can still hold them in mind and hold them in our hearts. And you can re-emphasize that as well. Mm. I wonder, is the nervousness, because he's, he, he's three and a half, so we may not have known the granddad that well, is the nervousness more to do with uh, his mother? Because his mother has been back and forth a lot of the time and that parental anxiety is more maybe tied into her. But that's that's exactly what I'm wondering. And I think, you know, no matter what's going on in our lives, our children look to us for their emotional cues. And this isn't to berate this parent because feeling sad at the loss of your parent is a very healthy expression of sadness. That Mm. is, you know, there's context here. You're allowed to grieve. You should grieve. And it is okay for our children to see us sad, to see us worried you know, to see us express a range of emotions because it normalizes a range of emotions. But I do think the back and forth piece might be as triggering as the grief piece. And that's why I think the going to Montessori could be actually re-triggering up the separation rather than the loss. Yeah, that'll be, yeah, it'll take some time, I I would imagine. Uh, Right, Uh, I'm a single parent to an 11-year-old boy. His father and I separated when he was an infant. My son and I have a very close bond, but recently he's become very angry over how many hours I work that I don't get to spend as much time with him. We are living in an apartment in Dublin and our rent increased significantly a couple of months ago. For that reason, I have had no other choice but to take extra shifts at work. His father helps out financially, but at the moment we are only barely getting by. It breaks my heart that I don't get to spend uh, as much time with my son as I would like and that he feels neglected in that way. What can I do to address his anger towards me? This is just so hard because this is a parent who is doing so much 
just to kind of keep things ticking. And I'm just so sorry that things have gotten so difficult. And I really want to emphasize here about quality time over quantity time, because you can really maximize the connection that you have and the playfulness and that those opportunities for shared joy and enjoying each other, you know, in less time. It, this isn't about having hours and hours. It's about making sure you have that enshrined, protected space together that you are doing something fun. And look, it, it could be something simple, either depending on what end of the day this makes sense for your shifts and your schedule. It could be having preparing a nice pancake breakfast together. You know, you're doing a lovely baking nurture activity together. It could equally be playing cards, just a game of snap in the evenings. You know, having that little moment of meeting together, I think you can still focus on that. I suppose it's your son's reaction that I'm interested in. And I'm wondering, what does he understand about the change in your circumstances? Does he understand that you have to take on these extra shifts or does he assume you've chosen to and that in his mind, you're choosing work over me and I feel very slighted by that? So I think I would explain in a developmentally appropriate way, but he is 11. And if he's, you know, a mature 11, you'll know if you think he's a very childlike 11, you'll change how you say this. But you're going to explain why you're working more. And it could be that, you know, the landlord needs more money every month for our rent. That means that I have to do more work to earn more money. And you're emphasizing that money doesn't just appear. It's something we work for. And so, you know, and do the empathy piece, lots of empathy and reflecting how you'd love to be spending all your time with him. And you love having all of that time together. But emphasize then the time you do have and structure it and plan it and say, but look, I can't be here as much as I was, but you know, on Saturday or on Sunday or morning or evening, whatever it is in your schedule, I do have this time and I really want us to have fun together. What is it you'd like to do? And, you know, look, an 11-year-old is going to throw at you that would like to go here, there and everywhere. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to modify all that and say, well, look, one of the things we're going to do is things together that isn't going to cost money because that would mean even more work. So what we can do is we can go for a walk in the forest. We can go for a swim in the, wherever you're living. This now will be, you have to tailor this to where you're living. But, you know, we're going to have fun together and you structure it and emphasize the time you are together. But I think at 11, you could share a little bit about how you have to work and that this is something that while you don't, wouldn't choose it, you, what you do choose is that you guys have a safe, warm, nice place to live. And that safe, warm, nice place to live costs money. And now it's costing more money than it used to. And that's why you're having to work. But it's not about you not wanting to spend time with him because he may be personalizing it is what I think in the absence of understanding what's changed. Yeah, yeah, you'd hope so. I have four children, three girls and one boy. My son is the eldest and he loves sport. His three sisters are the opposite and much prefer gentle play. They are also significantly younger than their brother. One of my daughters is immunocompromised and for that reason I have been reluctant to allow him to have friends over to play in case she picks up COVID. It kills me to see him playing alone while his sisters laugh and giggle together. How can I help him feel less lonely? Ah, I mean, this is really difficult in lots of ways. First of all, you have a really busy house. You have a little one who's immunocompromised and I can only imagine the associated stress that that's placing on you to try and keep her safe and healthy. And you have a little boy that you're very empathically attuned with that his play patterns, his play opportunities and access to his friends has changed. Now, I'm just wondering that you ensure he is lonely. 
lots of children are actually very happy and content mm. to play on their own, even to play with younger siblings, because you could structure some family play together. You know, that's more about chasing or hide and seek or something a bit physical. There are things you can do about that. But I fully appreciate at seven that developmentally he's at a different stage to his siblings. And a little bit of rough and tumble play for your gentle playing girls and a little bit of gentle play for him won't do either side of those any harm okay so that's okay but I'm also thinking now I'm wondering a few things here as well John that like if this little boy has been at school with peers leading up to the summer holiday is there somebody like a family that you know well that you know are being quite careful over COVID that could come over to play or you could meet in a neutral space Mm. in the outdoors for even a short space of time like, even if it was a family you know well who understands you have an immunocompromised child and you could say, look, would it be okay for your little guy to come over and play together? Would it be okay if they wore masks for that time? It would just be for an hour so that they have that time together or certainly ensure that they're playing outside. And I think if you're very upfront with the other family and say, look, it's really important that we safeguard our child. So we're just saying if he has any symptoms at all, obviously let us know. And I'm wondering as well, might he have any, and he might not. So this, again, is just thinking about all possible avenues. Has he any cousins or anyone in families that you're particularly close to, neighbours or whatever? Just think about those opportunities for mini bursts of play. It doesn't have to be having a child over for a full afternoon, but something quite structured, outdoor and safe. Because with an immunocompromised sibling, I'm assuming access to outdoor summer camps might be off the table or out Mm. out of question. In the absence of all of this, and you're saying, look, that really doesn't feel safe. Safety is what matters here for everybody. Can he do some online play with pals, like virtual play dates? You know, and I'm usually one saying, look, let's modify how much time our kids are online. But I also think these are special circumstances and special rules apply here. So increasing some of that and making sure he has connection with his peers, however you can manage it, should go a long way. I also think you could just empathize with him and say, look, I get it. You know, you love all of us and you want your sister to be safe. But of course, you miss your pals and playing with them. I wonder what we could do that would feel safe and still give you that opportunity to play together. You know, I just think don't over amplify it, but also hold mind you're dead right. You know, kids can get lonely and loneliness is not healthy for any of us, no matter how old we are. So I'd be looking at what feels safe and comfortable and does offer him that connection. And if it's online play, good enough is good enough. Yeah, indeed. Uh, anything is better than nothing. Exactly. Uh, uh, right, yeah, we do have to take a break. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Coming up after this break, an eight-year-old who's seen a horror film. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You're on a fortune. Uh, is still with us for the parenting slot, though, this week. She's uh, on a phone line. Uh, next question is this. My eight-year-old had her first sleepover recently at a friend's house. When I collected her the next morning, I could tell she wasn't herself. I asked her what was wrong, and she told me that she and her friend had watched a scary movie the night before. Her friend has a TV in her room, and they had streamed a movie. I was astonished that... She- a child as young as eight had her own TV and a login for a streaming service. If I had known they would be watching unsuitable films without parental supervision, I would have not allowed her to stay overnight. My daughter says she can't stop thinking about some of the images she saw, including a depiction of a murder. I feel she's been traumatised by what she saw and I don't know what to do to help her. Ooh, 
This kind of yeah. raises a few issues here, but I suppose, first off, uh, the effect on the eight-year-old. Yeah, you're dead right. There are a couple of things, but that is first and foremost. And I think she has seen it. Okay, you can't unsee it for her. She has told you what she saw. You were very attuned. You said, look, something's clearly up. You asked her, she told you, so you found out straight away. Now it's what you do with it. And I think one of the ways that I have found really useful around this, and I've come across this a few times actually in in the clinic, and sometimes it's kids who've inadvertently been shown a horror movie or they've stumbled across something on YouTube, but it can really unsettle them and they can ruminate over the images or themes that were in that, is to take the director technique and you could say to her, look, okay, imagine you were the director of that scary movie. Which was the, like, what was the scariest bit, the bit that you can't get out of your head? And we're going to yell cut and we're going to delete that from the movie. What would you put in instead that would change the way that movie went? Have her draw the new scene, talk about it in as much detail as possible. Also talk about how it would change the end of the movie and why would that be better. And really go into as much detail as you can and stick up that picture, the new positive scene, the new the one that changes it, stick that up somewhere or put it somewhere that she can just see it when she wants to is just as well. And she can go back and revisit that. And it can give her some semblance of control or power over what she's holding in mind and can redirect her to different outcomes. I would also do a lot of nurture play because it will take her out of her head where all of those uh-oh feelings and worries are and bring her down into her body and use that sensory-based play as a way of releasing some of that tension and anxiety she's holding. I would also, though, Sean, include more positive movie experiences with you so that you, you know, get the duvet or the blanket and popcorn and curl up together and watch nice movies and consider, and you're going to know when the time is ready for this, but I would consider introducing what I would call mild or gentle scares so Mm. that you increase her capacity to master fear. And there are lots of kids' movies that have, you know, some scary but not horror or traumatic, obviously, material. Like I'm thinking about, and this will just, you know, age me and date at the movies that come to my mind when I think of this, which there will be loads of them. The BFG, you know, there's Mm. scary moments in that, but ultimately it all works out good, and there are lots of lovely moments in it as well. The Witches, I mean, Roald Dahl does kid-appropriate gore very well. Um, Some kids find watching a movie like Coraline or Return to Oz. I remember finding that quite scary when I was younger, but not in a way that was traumatic. Something like even Ghostbusters or Gremlins or Never Ending Story. They have those very clear uh uh-oh moments, but ultimately the resolution is what dominates those movies. And it can be a way of getting close to the scary stuff without it overwhelming, but you're building up my capacity to know that I can master that tension, master that fear. Now, opening with that might not be the best thing right now. When she is in a state of fear, I would do that, you know, art-based director technique and the nurture play and ease into nice, gentle movies before introducing that and watch those movies with her. So if you can feel her getting tense beside you, you can pause and you can say, okay, what about this moment is getting you worried? what is happening, what might happen next, and talk it through as you go through it. And I think that could go a long way to helping the situation that you're now in. I also think, Sean, going back to what you said at the start, that there are a couple of issues here, that you might want to flag this to the other parent, Mm -hmm. the parent of the child who streamed the movie, because they may not be aware that their own child has done this. Yeah. 
and you might just be really, you know, respectful and careful <laughs> about yes. how you say this. Um, but you don't want to go back and go, look, my child got traumatized in your house. But at the same time, you say, look, when the girls have their sleepover, you might not be aware, but in the bedroom, they stream this movie. My child is really upset and scared by it. I just wanted to flag to you in case you weren't aware that your daughter's watching this or that they streamed it when they were together that you can do it in that way. I think if that was my child, I would want to know. Yeah. Though it's kind of, I mean, whatever about having a TV in the room, which is unusual for an eight-year-old, but having a login for a streaming service when you're eight is, that's extraordinary. Um, it's high risk. Yeah. And sometimes I think, Sean, like, you know, if you're not, if you don't consider yourself a tech-savvy parent, you might underestimate mm. what they can access on that. You might think, oh, they're just watching their... Nickelodeon or their Netflix or whatever it is, they're just watching their shows. And if you haven't, and kids are very savvy, especially at eight years old, at bypassing parental controls on some of these devices, but maybe you don't have, and you're thinking your child is clicking on their own Netflix profile, but actually they're clicking on yours and accessing your adult material and adult content on there. So it, that's why I think as parents, just let them know. Mm. You'll know quick enough by their reaction if they think it's an issue or not. Yeah. Last week, I was on the phone to my friend and I started complaining about my mother-in-law to her. I have a very fraught relationship with my husband's mother and I find it helpful sometimes to vent my frustrations by talking to my friend. During this particular phone call, I used quite a lot of profanity and I must admit, some of the things I said were very nasty. When I finished the call, I opened the door and discovered my 13-year-old daughter was there. She had been eavesdropping on my conversation and heard everything. She said nothing, but her disappointment was written all over her face. I don't know how to approach my daughter about what she heard. And for obvious reasons, I can't seek the support of my husband on this one either. What should I do? Well, other, than, other than move out immediately, Joanna, what, what should you do? Oh, this is when you want your time machine. You want to go back <laughs> and unhave that conversation, or at least in a different way. I think you've got, I mean, she's 13. Uh, if she was three, she would probably go back and tell her granny everything you said. Yeah. So she's 13, but I think you have to name this. I think you actually have to say, you know, something along the lines of, look, I'm really sorry you overheard that conversation. I thought I was having a private conversation with a friend. I would never have wanted you to hear those things. So I'm really sorry that that happened. Okay. And then you're going to reflect on how, look, you know, she's 13. Okay. So you're going to reflect with her that, you know, the way when you're with your friends in private, you're going to share some private thoughts. You might even say things about me to your friends. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because that's what we do with our friends. We talk about our tricky feelings so that we're not holding them on our own. And that's what I was doing. I was sharing some of my tricky feelings about your gran with my friends. And it doesn't mean that I don't love or respect gran because I do but I still can get frustrated with things that she does or says, and that's what you overheard. I do love her, and I love the type of grand that she is to you, but adult relationships are more complex. At 13, she can hear that. She can understand that. Don't over-explain, but put some context on it, because what's happened here is that you've been caught out. So you're experiencing a degree of shame, and that's what's going to stop you going, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I think you've got to go back and normalize it and help her understand that the way adults relate to each other is different to the way the same adults relate to kids or grandkids. And somebody can be a super granny and a tricky adult relationship. And I think you're just going to have to address some of that. 
Yeah. Is, is there a also, though, a kind of spousal time bomb uh, element to this, too, that she perhaps has to go to her husband and tell him what happened? 100%. Like, you have to tell him that your daughter has heard this because otherwise now there's a secret. Your, your daughter mm. is keeping a secret about what you said about granny from granny and a secret from dad that you said it at all. I think you got to say, look, I was having a rant with a friend and she overheard. I've addressed it with her and I think that's the end of it. But yeah, I'm cringing here. Yeah. Hopefully, I know. hopefully that one goes all right as well. It's just a reminder that sometimes those open, honest, free-flowing conversations with friends are better happening outside of the house. Yes, absolutely. Uh, lesson learned there. Uh, Joanna, thanks a million uh, uh, for uh, giving us advice this week, especially when you took the trouble to do so when, when you were on a bit of a break. Uh, so thanks very much uh, for that. Joanna Fortune, there you are. You. you are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break back in a couple of minutes. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.